Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In the beginning of book nine of his meditations, Marcus Aurelius is going to tell us and himself, since he's writing to himself, a number of ways in which people, it's translated differently, commit blasphemy is one way of translating it, or sinning, doing something that is against the god or the god, something that is impious, asebe in the Greek. And this is a verb, some of the translations, for example, that of Hayes will say injustice is a kind of blasphemy. But literally, what he's actually saying is the one who does this commits blasphemy or sins by doing so. So it's much more focused on the agency, the responsibility of the person who's going wrong. And he begins by saying that the person who does wrong or commits injustice, adikon, right? The person who's in the process of committing injustice, of transgressing norms, of violating promises, of doing the things they shouldn't do, blasphemes or sins. And this is not simply a unthinking equation of, well, you do what God doesn't like, therefore you're committing injustice or vice versa. He's going to provide us, his readers, with some explanations. So the first one that he's going to say is nature designed, right? Kata aquias. We're going against nature's intention or design or how it actually like arranged things. We're transgressing that by doing wrong. Nature designed rational beings for each other's sake. Henika alela, right? So on the account of each other and rational beings, logica, right? So those who possess reason. So by doing wrong, we are transgressing what nature intended for us to help not to harm one another as they deserve. And he also talks about nature's will, bulema, right? The decision, the choice, the intention that nature has. And now here's where it gets very interesting and there's a theological dimension to it. To transgress nature's will is to blaspheme or sin, not just against God, but the oldest of the gods. Is he saying that nature is older than all the other gods? Well, yes and no. The Stoics thought that Zeus, God, or Zeus, is the capital G God, but is also the entirety of the universe, which is arranged according to reason, a reason that itself possesses, and which is providential. So by going against what our nature, our distinctive rational nature is, we are transgressing against nature. We're blaspheming in that way. And then he goes on and he's going to give us a whole bunch of other things that also turn out to be blasphemy. And he's going to give us interesting justifications for that. So to lie, or literally the person who lies, pseudo-menos, the one who is engaging in pseudos, in, in lying, also blasphemes. Why? Well, because it's unjust, right? So there's that part as well. If lying is committing injustice, well, then the person who commits injustice also commits blasphemy or sins. But there's a more complex set of ideas 
at play. Nature means the nature of that which is, and that which is, and that which is the case are closely linked, so that nature is synonymous with truth. Nature's connected with truth, and truth is the first cause, proton haitia, of all true things. So there's truth, aletheia, and then there's all the true matters, states of affairs, things that we could say, right? So nature and truth intersect. So he says, to lie deliberately, hekon, choosing to lie, this disrupts the harmony. This is, involves deception, exapaton, right? Apatin is to deceive, to trick, to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. So deceiving, well, deceiving is committing injustice, right? You're not supposed to deceive other human beings. And then if we're lying involuntarily, akon, the opposite of hekon, it disrupts the harmony, diaphone, right, of nature. And so he says it disrupts its order. He's in conflict with the way the world is structured, the cosmos, right? The arrangement of the totality. And he says, as anyone is who deviates towards what is opposed to the truth, even against his will. And then he points out one other really important thing. As human beings, as the rational creatures, nature gave us resources, capacities, criteria that we can develop for distinguishing, literally distinguishing, deciding between, right, krinen, false and true. And it's up to us to actually use those and develop those resources. Since the person has neglected them, they can't tell the difference, but they're still blaspheming or sinning by committing the injustice of disrupting the harmony of the universe, even if they, at this point in time, can't tell the difference between true and false. They're taken in, for example, by misinformation or pseudoscience or something like that. So now we have two things. Lying is bad, committing injustice more broadly, bad. Both of them are against the oldest God in the universe, nature. Then he goes on and he says to pursue pleasure as a good, to be a hedonist, right? And to flee from pain as evil. Now, pain here is not lupe, the psychological feeling of being in pain, but rather ponos, which can mean pain, but it can also mean like trouble, toil, having to put up with crap, right? Having to plow through things. And so, you know, things that are ponos are not hedone, you know, they're not pleasure, right? So, so pursuing pleasure is a good, fleeing pain is an evil. This is also to, to sin, to go wrong against the divine. Why would that be the case? Well, as he's going to go on and say, someone who does that is bound to find themselves complaining about nature. Why are they going to complain about nature? Complaining it doesn't treat the good and bad as they deserve, but lets the bad enjoy pleasure and the things that produce it and makes the good suffer pain and the things that produce pain. The world doesn't seem to be fair. Well, the world doesn't seem to be fair if you think that fairness has to do with pleasure and pain. Maybe the world is fair, but that's the wrong way to measure it. But if we have this pleasure pain motivated mindset where those are the goods and bads, we're going to fall into this problematic perspective, right? So we don't want to be complaining about nature. Oh, my knees hurt, you know, when it snows. Oh, the universe is wrong because of that. Well, that's silly from a stoic perspective. He also tells us that if we do think that pain is the bad and pleasure is the good, we are going to necessarily do the wrong things, right? 
To fear pain is to fear something that's bound to happen, the world being what it is. And it's interesting that he uses the word phobistai, to fear here, rather than just to flee, fugain pain, right? So now it's not just like avoidance. Now it's worrying about pain. It's fearing it as something yet to come for us. If we do that, then we are going to make some bad decisions. Likewise, if we think that pleasure is the fundamental good, he says, you're going to pursue it and you can hardly avoid wrongdoing in doing so. And that is greatly blasphemous. That is greatly sinning because you're, you know, doing a, a, generally a bunch of things that are wrong. You're probably going to lie, cheat and steal, right? You're going to do things that are wrong, but you're also going to screw yourself up in the process. Then there's this interesting discussion and we got to be a little bit careful here in terminology. So there's a term here that's translated as indifferent. Now that is a very important stoic concept being indifferent to the indifference, things that don't have the value of genuine good or genuine evil, but are in between and may have some limited value, but not enough value to raise them to that. That is a translation of adiaphoriae, right? Or adiaphoria or adiaphoron or adiaphora. All these don't make a difference. A diaphora, right? Not making a difference. The term that Marcus is using here that a lot of the translation are rendering as indifferent, including Hayes's, is a different one. Epices. Epices is coming from the word isos, which means equal, right? So ep is on. And what we have here is that nature is treating things equally, right? And indifferent isn't bad as a translation. It's just a little bit of a trip up if you're used to the stoic terminology. So he says, some things nature is indifferent to. It doesn't take a stand one way or another. How do we know this? Well, if it privileged one over the other, it wouldn't have created both of them. If it thought that one was more valuable ultimately than the other. And so there's a consequence that comes from this. If we want to follow Dioikin, nature, which again, major basic stoic conception, living in accordance with nature, following nature, being in harmony with nature. If we want to do that, to be of one mind with it, then we need to also share in this indifference or literally seeing things that we typically don't view as equal as being equal, being equal in the most important respects. So what are these examples? Uh, pleasure and pain. Now in this listing in the Greek, they use pros for the first one, and then they just rattle off a whole bunch of these uh, connected things. We could read in there, privileging one over the other. Pleasure, pain, which do you want? Pleasure is better to have than pain, right? Well, from the perspective of nature and the perspective of the person who is following nature, neither pleasure nor pain is actually better than the other one. They're just things that are, and they may have value in relation to say the organism, right? Pleasure may be in indicative of something going well, as far as the structure of the organism and its organs go, pain may be a sign of something going wrong, but nature doles out both of these, right? So pleasure and pain, life and death, 
thanatos, death, uh, bies, life, and then fame and anonymity, doxa, adoxia, right? Having doxa, having reputation or fame, not having it, right? These are all essentially indifferent. They don't make a difference. They are on the same level as far as nature is concerned. So we should be looking at that as well. And then he says, well, what does this actually mean to say that nature is indifferent? And this is where it gets really interesting. So there's a term that's being used here besides the epices, right? Being equal, treating them equally. This means to deal with or to use. Again, a very important technical term. Nature treats these things or acts in them indifferently. What does this mean? Well, this means that they happen indifferently at different times to the things that exist and the things that come into being after them. So things that come into being, things that come into being later and through some, he says, ancient degree of providence. So nature is just a bunch of processes that are happening, but it is guided by some rational plan, a providence. Pronoia in Greek is the term that, that's used here, right? So there is an ordering to these matters. The decree by which from some initial starting point, it embarked on the creation or the world that we know by laying down the principles of what was to come and determining the generative forces, right? So nature is this vast, complex, causal matrix, which connects not just space and things in space, but time as well and is arranged providentially. And in that providential ordering, nature hasn't given priority to pleasure over pain, life over death, or fame over not fame. And you could say, well, wait a second. Every animal, even plants, have a desire to continue their life or an impulse, whatever we want to call it, right? And you can say, well, yes, nature gave these to all these things. But that doesn't mean that life itself is prioritized by nature, nor that pleasure is prioritized over pain. So we can look at it as rational creatures as, yeah, those are nice things. All things being equal, okay, I'll try to you know have some pleasure and avoid pain, but I'm not gonna center my existence around that because when I do, I screw up. I wind up doing the wrong things. I'm out of whack with the rest of the cosmos and with my fellow rational creatures and with nature itself, the oldest of the gods, as we see him saying here. So this is a very interesting and illuminative passage about the theological views of Marcus Aurelius. We fit into a cosmos that is ordered by the oldest of the gods and with which we ought to try our best to conform. And we've been given the resources to do that by having rational minds. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.